Today is Friday, March 10th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A Christian arrested again for praying silently. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe, leave a rating, share it with a friend. You can email us, and I we've been getting your emails. I appreciate that. Quick Start Podcast at CBN. Dot org. Love to hear from you. Whether it's critical or not, that's fine. Either way, we're okay with it. Uh, joining me now, as always, to get through the news of the Cray, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips. It's Friday, fellas. What's going on? Hold the presses. Who gets the most hate mail? It's generalized. It's generalized. Uh, Equal opportunity when said, hate. When you said that you're happy to get the good and the bad, I was, I was thinking, speak for yourself. I only <laughs> want the good emails. So if you have something nice to say, please address me directly. Otherwise, make it general or to Billy. <laughs> there you it's, go. Let's head into what we got coming up, guys, on the story. Billy, we've got this um, Christian arrested again, and now some laws are being made. This is wild. Yeah, this is a... <laughs> A crazy story about prayer and a buffer zone around abortion clinics in the UK. And it's in England and Wales where this is happening. And it's going to heat up pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, really, really crazy. Sad situation over there for as far as uh, individual liberties and rights go. And on the main thing, we're going to look at those four Americans who were kidnapped. Tragically, two of them killed by a Mexican drug cartel. What is going on at the border? John Stolness breaks uh, all of that down and takes a closer look on today's main thing but first we're gonna get through the news here in 90 seconds and is there a new wave of persecution in communist china it sure looks like it as a fresh set of church raids have gone down and new heavy tech censorship and monitoring is in place it sparked even more persecution in already heavily oppressed China. Sam Brownback tells CBN News, now they're even requiring people to register on their phones to be able to go to church. That's so, as he says, they can track them and then shut places down if they want to. You can see that full interview over on the CBN News YouTube channel. House Judiciary hearings on the Twitter files took place yesterday with Democrat Representative Sylvia Garcia trying to get journalists Matt Tibby to reveal a source and he wouldn't budge. The latest round of revelations included some pretty shocking internal messaging showing just how closely Twitter was before Elon Musk working in lockstep with the government during COVID to control the narrative. And someone claiming to be from that Mexican drug cartel I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, responsible for killing two Americans. They've condemned the violence and purportedly will turn over their own members who were involved to authorities. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNnews.com. Guys, I'm really interested in this story that John's going to be diving into here in a few minutes. But the cartel has come out now and it's like they're running PR. I just find this, the whole story is tragic, but I find this part of it just fascinating and, and odd. They're running PR, kind of like, look, these guys, we apologize for this. They were acting on their own. Um, they went against the cartel rules, which include, quote, respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. I what, what? didn't know this was a mantra of the cartels. If it weren't so sad, it would be funny that you have a cartel here, these violent cartels that kill people all the time. And they're out there acting like they're some benevolent company that has rules and regulations that everybody has to follow. Well, I think it just brings home the fact that 
there are dangers, you know, at the border, on the border, near the border. I mean, this is something that again and again, this is a country that borders us. And we've had this conversation and we keep having conversations about border walls and border security. The fact that these things are happening so close to home, I think is just a big wake up call for us, honestly. Yeah. You know, anytime these stories bubble to the national um surface. I, I think about how states are dealing with this day in and day, like border states, like Texas is dealing with this, parts of California, they're dealing with this stuff every single day, um, all the time. And this is something that only really comes to the national level on occasion, but it just highlights how important this issue is because it's having real time impact on real people. Um, and it's scary stuff, right? Because obviously the the solution is going to be very complex, but this politicization of it day in and day out is so frustrating because both sides, it seems at times use it as kind of a political football and then nothing gets done. And this kind of horrific stuff continues to happen. It really is like the wild West along the border. It's desert. A lot of it pretty remote, sparsely populated in a lot of instances. And you just have these cartels running around People just flooding across the border, seemingly at will. Border guards doing what they can, but they're drastically understaffed. And what do you do? What do you do about that? Now, certainly these four Americans who were kidnapped, they were apparently going down there for some sort of medical procedure. This just seems incredibly unwise. If you're ever on the fence of just heading into a border town in Mexico, it just, if you don't have to do it, don't do it. I'm stating the obvious here, but apparently it's not obvious to everyone. You know, and I, I think it's a reminder too, as believers, right? We're we're here talking about the news, but remembering yeah. that as we're delivering this, to, to be praying for for Mexico, for the people living there, for these cartels, and for the border states, Trey. Because I think what you mentioned is so important that our country bears a lot of burden because of this in a lot of states without the federal help, probably that they would want in some instances, having to deal with this. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's a, a lot of it is is not just a lack of resources, which is there, but it's also a lack of compassion and a lack of understanding because politicians are so quick to say whatever's going to make them look good or sound good or get them reelected or elected. And they're neglecting the fact that there are Americans on these border states or in these border states who feel like they're helpless and have run out of options. And then there are people who are actually trying to get into the United States, even though they're doing it illegally, who are falling victim to these cartels. And as Christians, I think, like you said, we have a responsibility to be prayerful for them, even if they're breaking the law and coming here illegally. A lot of times it's kids and mothers. And when they fall prey to these cartels, obviously the, the situation is dire for them. You know, it's an interesting, I don't know how many of these shows depicting different cartels, the Pablo Escobar documentaries and stories, but it's interesting to me that there is a lot of Christian faith imagery in there. I think a lot of these people in the regions there might be Catholic. And so it, they just grew up with that. So you have this dynamic where they're horribly violent drug cartels, but then maybe that's where some of this appeal comes to. I, ju I just find that dichotomy so bizarre and conflicting that they're talking about the innocent and we need to uphold the innocent and you're just you're you're selling drugs to people and essentially killing them and so in scripture we see god writes these laws on our heart we were without excuse we know his, his their given creation we can see it all around us 
So you can see that people know that even drug cartels. I just find that really interesting. Well, it also shows us that we can manipulate faith to make ourselves feel better, too. We can yeah. grab onto the pieces that we like, right, and disregard the pieces we don't like mm -hmm. to justify whatever it is we're doing. And that's not how we're supposed to be living our faith out. And yet we see that again and again and again in the human condition. But, yes, it is bizarre to watch groups of people bent on violating the law um, use, you know, intermixed faith in that. And definitely need to be praying for these families because uh, obviously poor decision, but horrible, horrible outcome there for um, these uh, people that ended up getting killed by Mexican drug cartels. But John Stone also have more on that in a few minutes on that story because there's a lot of layers to it. So that'll be coming up on the main thing in just a minute. But we're going to go into our next story now. Free speech and religious expression. We definitely know that they're under attack here. They certainly are almost a rarity over in places like the UK. And there is one story that's really getting attention now, and there's some updates here, and there's some disturbing ones. Billy, what's going on? Yeah, and I, and I want to emphasize, even in America where we have a First Amendment, we have a, yeah. we've had scenarios where people have to fight to have basic rights that we have under the Constitution mm -hmm. to affirm those rights, right? So what we have going on is we've had numerous people now who have been arrested for praying silently, as far as we know, in front of abortion clinics, that there are these buffer zones that individual areas, individual regions in England and the UK have put in place, meaning that you're not allowed to protest or anything like that in front of a an abortion clinic. But somehow that form of protest is also considered silent prayer. So if you're standing somebody somewhere silently praying, uh, you might find yourself in the midst of some trouble. And so we've had a number of these cases. There is a woman um, who has been arrested twice now for this. And um, her most recent uh, arrest was this past Monday. And uh, her, her last name is Vaughn Spruce. You've probably seen we've covered her story, Isabel Vaughn Spruce. Now, her story is important, but the bigger story is that these regional areas have now been taken national. Um, very likely in the coming days, it is very possible now that the parliament has passed these regulations, this public order bill. Um, there was clause 10 in this bill that would essentially criminalize any form of influencing outside of abortion facilities. This would include prayer, peaceful conversations, people trying to help women, those sorts of things would, would allegedly be banned under this, and it was actually passed this week, um, meaning that, again, this was just a local issue. Some communities had these buffer zones. Now buffer zones would exist throughout England and Wales because of this Clause 10. And so this is this is a big issue, and it's obviously getting a, a lot of reaction. Yeah, and you think the implications of this will be pretty widespread. Like, as you said, it went from a localized issue to now this is going to be uh, potentially implemented elsewhere around the country. Couple things here, Billy. One, how how in the world do you monitor this if you're the police over there? And what do you think is going to happen as a result of of these uh, new restrictions? Yeah, well, that's been the thing. There are a lot of people sort of pointing at this saying, we have way bigger issues, and here we have video. I mean, we've seen videos of the police interacting with Isabel and these other people where they go up to them, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying in my head. Well, you can't be praying in your head. I mean, these bizarre conversations that are actually really chilling in so many ways. It's almost like 1984 come to life. And I want to also mention that this public order bill, this clause that was placed in it, 
there were people, um, some conservatives who tried to stop this. A member of parliament named Andrew Luer, um, he's part of the House of Commons. The House of Commons is the latest house in parliament to vote on this this week. He had an amendment that would have actually exempted people who were, quote, engaged in consensual communication or in silent prayer, that those people doing that outside of these clinics, people, again, consensual conversation, people who want to have a conversation or praying silently, and it was rejected, um, which is just remarkable. So so I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen from here because I think you're going to have a lot of people like Isabel. Let's remember, Isabel was arrested a while ago now, weeks ago. She was acquitted in court. She was found not guilty and then arrested again after she was acquitted. You're going to have people like her who continue to show up and pray. Um, It's about a 492-foot buffer, by the way, just so people understand, around these clinics that you can't be silently praying or protesting. And so I I think you're going to see some very, very big implications of this and other people be affected because they're not going to back down. It's really crazy because you think the praying silently part of it makes it extra crazy. But even if you were praying out loud, it seems like who cares if you're over there praying out loud, you're talking. Um, it shouldn't matter. But apparently yeah, they yeah. still apparently they're still all in on it. But that the UK is different. They've got these public space protection orders. What are those things? Can you explain those a little bit? Yeah, that's at the heart of this. These public space protection orders. These started up after the government, and this is so interesting when you look at other countries, the the government um, had this act. It was the Antisocial Behavior Crime and Policing Act of 2014. There's a rule in there, Section 59, that actually gives local authorities power to implement various rules, rules against, quote, public nuisances or problems, right? So these public nuisances or problems this has been the prayer, the abortion protesting. They've used it to sort of restrict that. So the fe- the federal, like the the you know high end government, parliament giving that right to local authorities, and they've been using it. So that's where this started in the local communities, and it spread obviously from there. And you know, look, one of the you asked about implications. One of the other things that I think is important to remember: it's so easy when you're on one side of something. So if you're on the pro choice side to be clapping and so excited about this. Oh, I'm so glad, you know, we, we won. We, we got this victory. But there are a number of attorneys, attorneys who have said, look, today it's abortion. Tomorrow it could be some other issue, some other contested political issue. This affects everybody because you could use these laws, right, in, in different ways, not just to restrict abortion. Yeah, really, really troubling stuff here. And um, why, why do you guys think, you know, what is your big takeaway, both of you, when you hear this kind of story. I know it's over in the UK, so it's not directly here, but uh, what's your takeaway from this? Well, I mean, they don't have the same, they don't have the free speech guarantees that we have because of the First Amendment, obviously. And like you said, it is the UK, but it's still the West, right? And I think uh, that this kind of restriction is coming and it's it's not a restriction like one we've seen before. It's essentially like a thought police kind of, uh, kind of restriction because How do you regulate that? You have no idea what a person is thinking or doing, uh, much less what they're praying if they're doing it silently. So, uh, look, I think we should be concerned. And as Christians, whenever we're seeing a a member of the body of Christ, whether they're facing severe persecution like we see in in the Middle East or in China, uh, or if they're facing discrimination um, that's limiting their ability to be prayerful, I think that's an attack on the body of Christ writ large. So we have a responsibility, I think, to be prayerful for them because 
honestly, I don't think we're that far removed from that happening. But also, again, because they're believers, they're part of our our family of, of Christians. Yeah. And I think from a practical standpoint, the fact too, I agree with everything Trey said, that this issue is so important. This is an issue that deals with life or death. And this is about silencing people from calling out abortion for what it is. And if you can silence and prevent those people from being there, you ensure that you get those women in there to get the abortions without mm-hmm. any obstruction. It, it is actually so sinister and it goes way deeper than even I think the people promoting it understand spiritually, mm-hmm. physically, the lasting effects on these women. So it's it's a huge free speech, free expression and religious freedom issue. But I think to Trey's point, what is happening there could very easily come here. Yeah, 100 percent agree. And and like you said, praying for Christians who are over there getting persecuted, we should always be praying for our Christian brother and brothers and sisters around the globe. But then you said that the First Amendment here, that's the difference that we have. But we that should motivate us even more as we see forces here in America trying to limit that and take that away. You, you see what it leads to. What is going to happen if you take away these protections and don't work hard to preserve them here in our country? It just makes it all the more important that we're aware that we know what's going on. We know what people are trying to do to our rights. There's always going to be people in the name of goodness, in the name of trying to save society and help people that they'll take and keeping us safe. They'll take away our rights. And it's, it's a story as old as time. And we have to be on guard because we've been living comfortably in America's freedoms for some time now. But Um, Nothing lasts forever, as they say, and our freedoms won't either if we don't stand up for them. So appreciate you bringing that story. We're going to move to the main thing right now, guys. Four Americans kidnapped, as we talked about on the podcast today, by a Mexican drug cartel. Well, John Stolness takes a closer look at this story. A lot of different layers happening here. What's going on? What is the situation at the border right now? Well, that's today's main thing. So, Joshua, this story put into focus a problem that has been going on in Mexico for years now. It's been building for the last few years, and I think it's escaped our attention to a degree. Uh, most most Americans are concerned about illegal crossings at the southern border, and we know that that is a major story. That's always one of the most um, most. Uh, uh, <laughs> It's, a, it's, an, it's an issue, an election issue that is, is most important to Americans, um, some more than others, uh, as we approach every election cycle. But I don't think we really take a, a moment to look at what's happening in, in places like Mexico and, and the drug wars that are going on down there. So can, if, to start off, how dangerous is this area in Mexico where these four Americans were taken hostage, two of them ultimately losing their lives? Yes, John. So I think first, I think it would be a mistake to think that this has only been going on for years. It's been going on for decades. Mm. And the area in Matamoros is extremely dangerous. Um, one of the oldest standing cartels owns that area, the Gulf Cartel. Uh, Gulf Cartel some time ago, many years ago, was teamed uh, with um, a new, uh, well, not a new, the Zetas, they were called, mm. which were par- which is a military special forces organization that then went to work for the cartels and now is its own cartel. Hmm. And so the, the drug trade is extremely lucrative. And so they're going to, those cartels are going to hold on to that territory with a force. So it's so interesting that you say that Josh, that 
there was a former special operations unit, I assume with the Mexican government or was it with Mexican police that is now its own cartel? Mexican military. Okay. And trained and trained by us. And if you look at the history of what happened relatively recently and how how the cartels are paramilitary organizations, the Mexican military had captured Chapo Guzman's son and was forced to give him back to the cartel because <laughs> the cartel surrounded the military with enough firepower to force them to give back a drug dealer. Think about that. This isn't the mafia. You know, this isn't like what we're used to with organized crime in, in here in the United States. Is it is it is it safe to say that this is almost like a branch if a whole branch of the U.S. military has had broken off and was now involved in organized crime, drug crime? I wow, that's yes. I mean, I think it, it would be equivalent to major cities in the United States, think of Chicago, New York, Dallas, Los Angeles, being controlled by criminal organizations, hmm. making the decisions, blocking politicians, supporting politicians, controlling all the lines of trade, uh, and making those fundamental decisions for what are failed states in Mexico. Well, that's the next area I wanted to get into, because it sounds like you are talking about failed states, but we have a Mexican government that we are doing business with. They are an ally of ours, but this is happening just south of our border. I mean, th this area where these four Americans were, were, were targeted, were kidnapped by mistake, as it turns out. But nevertheless, this is an area that the State Department has said you cannot go. It's just over the border. I mean, we're not talking deep into Mexico. This is this is no more than a few a few you know tens of miles over the over the the texas mexico border so it's just it's kind of hard to imagine how a government can allow a cartel to take ownership of an entire portion of the country but i guess based on on what you're talking about the fact that they're so heavily armed the fact that these are paramilitary it makes a little bit more sense what is the mexican government doing or what is it what is it that they want to do to try and get a handle on this situation i think previously the mexican government wanted to get a handle on this but when you see the rhetoric of the current president of mexico he is taking a very different tack and he is not looking to confront the cartels. So that makes it very difficult to combat the violence, to combat the, and have US involvement help the Mexican authorities. They've taken a very, which is their right, a nationalistic view. However, when it starts to negatively impact our country, in some regards, we are obligated to take action. Mm -hmm. and, and now what does that look like? Certainly <clears throat> as you, as some have claimed in recent days of taking very aggressive actions against specifically Mexico, that may not um, engender support and collaboration. So it has to be thoughtful. I know there's been a lot of discussion about sanctions. I know the administration just sanctioned several in, a, in, the car, in one of the cartels. And those sanctions, while can be powerful, are only powerful if there's action taken as a result of them. Mm -hmm. And I know Congress um, has is pushing a declaring war on the cartels act. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham this week and, and other senators are calling on the Biden administration to label these cartels as terrorist organizations. How would that change things from a, a U.S. standpoint targeting cartels if we were to label them as terrorist organizations? 
Well, there's a lot of aspects, and that's really up to the State Department. And, and I know Treasury was, uh, used OFAC sanctions against them. Like, like I mentioned earlier, it is only going to be effective is there if there's actually action taken. So they, there was an op-ed written by the former Attorney General Barr about how to designate them, and they're more like ISIS than they are like the mafia. And there, there's absolutely truth to that. But when you look at what we did against terrorist organization, that took an immense amount of military power. Mm -hmm. uh, it took the focus of the intelligence community writ large, and really every tool in the toolbox for the U.S. government to include prosecution, to include uh, military um, targeting. And now that is something that's right on our border. Further, due to all the threats that the United States is currently facing mm -hmm. um, and the potential for uh, a multi-front war, if you would, that is something that our elected leaders will really have to take into consideration. You cannot do this part-time. Yeah, I guess that's true. And when we were dealing with the terrorist problem, which is still a problem in the world, you know, that is something I think most Americans have put on the back burner because of the threats that we're now seeing from China and from Iran and from Russia. We're now focusing again on states, you know, state actors, countries rather than rather than terrorist organizations again. But that being said, that was our whole focus for the better part of 10 to 15 years. And it's, it's hard to imagine as much as Senator Graham talks about the fentanyl crisis and, and how, how important it is that we get a handle on that. And it absolutely is. It sounds like a level of commitment that the United States may not be prepared to deal with, given the other threats uh, around, around the world. We just had a threat assessment hearing. Um, with all the different uh, heads of FBI, CIA, um, which I'm sure you you saw, and I don't I don't remember this coming up a whole lot in in that hearing. So uh, I know the Mexican government has said they're going to find the kidnappers and bring them to justice. How realistic is that? I think I know the answer before I even ask it. But how realistic is that? Well, I think there will be, I think there will be some brought to justice, mm -hmm. and there was already one person in custody. Do. Do I anticipate that they will go after the folks that can, the leadership of the organization? No, mm -hmm. I do not. The soldiers who, who did this, for sure. Um, and they will be brought to justice. Now, keep in mind, and I believe I read this statistic in, in, uh, in, in the paper, 95% of violent crimes in Mexico go unprosecuted. So Mexican government is getting an immense amount of pressure from the United States to take action. Uh, this is bad business for the cartels to have this amount of attention from the from the U.S. government. Certainly, they would be concerned that there would be some sort of military or intelligence actions starting to happen. So they need to the, the cartels will, will willingly give up soldiers who did this. And uh, so long as it didn't disrupt. Uh, greater business for them, which includes human trafficking, drug trafficking, everything illicit that would go on along the border. Last thing for you here, Josh, do you anticipate the situation in Mexico getting better anytime soon? I don't. Not without some substantial action. And the Mexican government, and there's some great people in, 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 that, in the government that would like to do the right thing, they, they will not be able to do this without immense support from the United States. Not unlike how we worked with the Colombias in, the, in Colombia in the 90s, to push back on the cocaine cartels in Medellin and, uh, and others. 
Well, it's certainly a situation that is now at the at, on the front pages and it's garnering a lot of attention now. We'll see how long it stays there. Josh School, former FBI Executive Assistant Director for Intelligence, now the president of BowWave. Josh, thank you so much for your expertise on this. We appreciate it. Thank you, John. All right, John, appreciate you breaking that story down for us today on The Main Thing. And that leaves us with time on the podcast this week for one last thing. We're going to look at 1 John 4, 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think that's just such a perfect reminder uh, that in Christ, we no longer have to fear what what would be to come, right? Because we've been redeemed, the, the price has been paid, and we'll be united with Christ eternally. But that should also change how we act in the here and now, too. Yeah, absolutely. And you think there's no greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for a friend. Well, that's a scary thing, right? But if you are truly acting out of perfect love, you're not going to have any of that fear. You're just going to know that what you're doing is right and you're just fully motivated by love and that fear will be gone. And so that's something that we can all be praying for in our daily lives uh, to have. Yeah. And the more reverence we have for God, which I think there's a misunderstanding about fear, the more we can we can build that up within ourselves and within our hearts, I think, when we understand what that what that really means to love him so much that you have a healthy fear of him, right? Absolutely. All right. That's where we're gonna leave it here for this week. Appreciate you being here with us on the podcast as we go through the news of the cray each and every day, seven AM. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, all that good stuff. And head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We're back here on Monday. God bless. See you then. Have a great weekend.